Thanks for downloading the Tudor and Stuart Ireland Conference 2012 podcast. This podcast series features recordings of papers from the conference, which took place in University College Dublin on the 31st of August and 1st of September 2012. The conference was generously supported by UCD School of History and Archives, UCD Research and the Society for Renaissance Studies. For more information, go to TudorStuartIreland.com. In this episode, a paper by Dr. Jill Connachton entitled The Art of a Good Death. Um, a good death in late medieval and early modern Europe was considered an important step on the way to salvation. The last moments before a person's death were the last opportunities to repent, pray, be absolved of sins, take the extreme unction sacrament. But these last moments could present challenges, um, as it was believed, that an unprepared soul may, try to, may find trying. Today I'm going to look at how imagery played several important roles in the process of ensuring a good death as an instructive or devotional tool during life, as a focus of prayer during last moments of death, and as a signifier of a good death had by the previously deceased. I will also be looking at some of the surviving art and imagery of Ireland that may have been created or linked with these concerns um, relating to salvation and a good death, in an effort to better understand what such imagery would have meant to the patrons who had them created during the Tudor and Stuart periods in Ireland. Before the 14th century, the formal treatment of death and dying in texts aimed at the laity were rare, but the massive increase in the mortality rates during the 14th century created a greater demand for works that dealt with the issue. One text commonly called the Ars Moriendi, or the Art of Dying, became popular in accordance with this demand. The Ars Moriendi was based on the Office of the Dying, a liturgical text that, though intended for clerical use, also sometimes was included in late medieval books of hours as devotional reading. Ars Morandi texts were purposely composed for the laity, and though they retained the instructional language of the Office of the Dying, they were being created as devotional texts specifically. Versions of the Ars Morandi were produced in both Latin and in vernacular languages, and many copies of the text can be found incorporated into longer works. There are two related illustrated versions of the text that developed in the early 15th century that would both fall under the generic title of Ars Morandi. One was a longer version that is normally titled Tractatus or Speculum Artis Bene Moriandi, and the other was a shorter version that was typically found under the simpler title Ars Moriandi. The shorter version, more often reproduced, arose as an abridged version of the longer work um, and was basically consisted of the second chapter of the longer Tractatus text. And these shorter works were often created as black books, and black books were printed by means similar to production of woodcuts. So, um, whereas woodcuts, the image is carved out of a, a block of wood, in the black books, the text as well was all carved out of single blocks of wood to produce a printing plate. The Ars Morandi black book illustrations consisted typically of a group of 11 woodcuts, the first 10 alternating between the five temptations and the five inspirations that would lead the dying every man out of each temptation when on their deathbed. So here I'll just quickly show there's two versions of this of each image in uh, two complete series of the of uh, the 11 images on the right and right hand side of each slide are hand colored Ars Morandi engravings by the master of Blumen Raman after master ES from around 1450 to 1470 and they're held in the British Museum. And on the left are images from a German black book from around 1475 that's now held in the U.S. Library of Congress. So in this first image, um, 
it, the, the first image in the series depicts the temptation of faith. Um, so demons surround this dying man that you see on his bed. He's on his deathbed in last moments of death. And they present him with image of a king and queen worshipping a false idol that you can see on the right or left, depending on which image you're looking at. And um, behind the bed, you can see the demons are blocking out the, uh, the God the Father, God the Son, and um, the Virgin Mary from the view of the dying man. When you go to the next image then, it's encouragement to the faith. So it is, in this case now, God the Father, the Son, and the Virgin have come to the bedside of the dying man while the di demons lay sprawled on the floor, kind of trying to escape under the bed, and angels minister to the dying man. So you can see the, the images in this case, well, in, in the rest of the sets as well, they, they're paired with the despair, if you like, and the, the encouragement. So the next one we have is temptation through despair, specifically. The de demons are showing the dying man. You can see they're holding up the, the plaque with the tally of his sins. And then in the next one, um, there's consolation against despair, where um, the sickbed is surrounded by St. Peter, St. Mary Magdalene, the good thief um, on a cross, Saul and an angel, and the demons are again scurrying. Um, in this case, you know, consolation against despair, I suppose these figures would have been specifically chosen to console despair as they were probably figures that would have been seen as disappointing Christ in their actions St. Peter, for example, his symbol of his denial and the cock on the top of the bed uh, would, have, would reference his denial of Christ. And so, but all these figures were then re, uh, were their, their misdeeds, if you like, were uh, forgiven. So they would be consolation to the dying man in his sins. Temptation through impatience, knocking over furniture, kicking people away, and consolation through impatience with a selection of saints, mostly martyrs, St. Lawrence, for example, and uh, even Christ as a kind of ecce homo figure, um, or man of sorrows figure, uh, showing that patience can, that the virtue of patience, even in suffering. And then we have a consolation, or temptation through haughtiness. The demons are trying to convince the dying man of his surety that he'll arrive in heaven upon death, presenting him with crowns, t kind of telling him how great he is. And we have the suggestion of humbleness against haughtiness, where interestingly, whereas before the demons were showing the man the tally of his sins, now the angels are showing the man the tally of his sins in order to, t to humble him um, and to emphasize the um, virtue of humbleness. Temptation through avarice. See worldly goods, houses, barrels of ale, horses. Suggestion of munificence against avarice. So um, this was things that are better than the worldly goods. And then lastly, so those are the five pairs. And then lastly, we have the eleventh um, slide or the eleventh image, which depicts the moment of triumph over all the temptations in the hour of death. And so it's presenting a, an ideal death, if you like. The man is, has a prayer candle pressed into his hands. There's the image of the crucifixion. And you can see above the head of the dying man, angels are taking his soul from uh, kind of the top of his head. So engravings in um, these engravings and the woodcuts that were created for these scenes were, were created by different artists. Um, but the iconography of the 
of the works uh, were fairly consistent, and examples from the images from different hands contain much of the same subject matter when dealing with the, the, the set 11 imager, images. Um, for instance, they're sorry, it's quite small, <laughs> an image of an Italian uh, Ars Mariandi book um, on the left where you can see, you might be able to make up the... Um, the Temptation Through Avarice and a, a French one as well, and you can, if you remember back, is very similar to the other images we saw from the German books. And the iconography and devotional texts found in the Ars Morandi texts place the Passion of Christ as a central devotional idea upon which the dying should focus to obtain a good death and through that come closer to salvation. While these books were ostensibly to help provide instruction for the dying man, they were more likely used by those further from death, so people who would be perusing these books um, not at the moment of their death, but well in advance and used as a devotional tool, um, maybe with the understanding of helping themselves later when they, when they do die. And the Ars Morandi continued to be influential through the 16th and 17th centuries, in part due to the fact that the text was adopted and adapted by members of the Protestant Reformation, the Humanist Movement, and the Catholic Counter-Reformation. Each group took the earlier ideas found in the medieval Ars Morandi and adjusted them to their view of the ideal death um, to fit what they believed of what happened in the afterlife. Um, the earliest copies of the Ars Morandi in England appeared in the 15th century, um, both copied into manuscripts and as imported black books, and it's probable that because of the a large amount of um, books that were being distributed around Europe that they were also being imported into Ireland during this time. In my research so far, um, I found two direct references to copies of the Ars Morandi text in Ireland. Uh, first is a 15th century Ars Morandi block book that was known to be owned by James Usher in the early 17th century um, before it was donated to Trinity College Library where it now is held. Um, it was donated around 1670s. Though it's doubtful that this was uh, used as like, a devotional book in Usher's hands, they still were continued to be owned by people um, sometimes just with the less desirable elements scribbled out. <laughs> um, and later in the 17th century, the Catholic Bishop of Ferns, Luke Wadding, recorded that De Ars Bene Moriendi was a book that he also held in his library. Um, besides these textual references, however, I believe um, an influence of the iconography used in the Ars Moriendi illustrations can be seen in the visual devotional art and imagery from the Tudor and Stuart periods in Ireland. And the combination of the spiritual figures that appear in the Ars Morandi illustrations and the way they would have been depicted are very similar to the combination of iconography used in much of the Irish devotional art, especially in funereal and memorial art. The, connect the connection between the imagery and the good death is perhaps most significant when it's found on the Irish tomb surrounds of the 16th century. Here, if one compares the final images in the Ars Moriendi, in which the dying man is shown conquering death, one finds the same figures that are typically depicted on tombstones. The Virgin and St. John are shown grieving at the foot of the cross. The apostles and saints specified by their attributes, and angels stand around the sides of the tombs as if surrounding the bed of the dying. Even the demons that are depicted tempting the dying man into sin can be found on many examples of Irish tombs, for instance, on the upper edge of the Macraw tomb surround, uh, from around 1557 in Lismore Cathedral. Images of Christ in other guises, such as, such as the Man of Sorrows and the Risen Christ, can be seen as taking part in some of the inspirational images from the Ars Morandi and can likewise be found in many uh, tomb sculptures. Of course, these figures are found on many forms of devotional art, not just funereal art. 
Um, the Dovnak Argid shrine from 14th century, for example, uses similar iconography on its uh, shrine, though in cases of shrines like this one, the figures are likely represented as images of spiritual protection um, rather than uh, specifically referencing death, uh, though the the use of the figures in tomb sculpture and in the Ars Morandi do, in a way, represent protection to the dying man as well. Now, these figures in their role at the deathbed, however, lent a significant further meaning to their appearance on Irish tomb surrounds and other memorials, such as churchyard and wayside crosses. Here, the figures also stand as representation of a good death and are incorporated into the tomb iconography as a way of expressing both the hope of a good death and to encourage later viewers that indeed the person or persons memorialized, memorialized on the tomb or cross did in fact have a good death. And so um, the concern with ensuring a good death can also be demonstrated by traditional ideas on the power of certain formulaic arrangements of words or images that prevent sudden death in late medieval and early modern Ireland. Sudden death, whether the, whatever the cause, would mean that there would be no time for the acts of confession or communion essential to the Catholic idea of a good death. Written prayers or charms, as they sometimes were considered due to their lack of orthodoxy, which invoked Christ, the Virgin, or other elements of the Passion, were commonly believed to protect a person from harm. George Story, in his book A Continuation of the Impartial History of the Wars of Ireland from 1693, described a written prayer charm found on an Irish person at the Battle of Nachna Clasby. He transcribes it as follows. This is a print of Our Lady's foot, and whoever wears it and says, Twenty Ave Marias shall be free from gunshot. A similar prayer, which it obviously didn't work if he found it on the body of a soldier. <laughs> a similar prayer charm written in Irish was found on a soldier in 1688, though in this case it was an enumeration of Christ's wounds, similar in form to the 15 O's of St. Bridget. The several benefits allotted to, allotted to different devotional acts in this prayer charm, but um, the simple act of keeping the paper on one's person ensured that he or she would, quote, be free of, from all his enemies, neither will he die a sudden nor unprovided death, and if any woman, woman be with child that carries this revelation about her, will feel no pain or prejudice in childbearing, and whosoever will carry it about him, the glorious Virgin Mary, will appear unto him 20 days before his death. So not only would a person avoid a sudden death, but the virgin would also provide 20 days notice, allowing a person to put his or her spiritual house in order. The recitation of holy names, either written or inscribed on objects worn on the body or said aloud, were thought to have protective powers against harm or death as well. The angelic salutation, um, the words from the titulus, the crucifixion, and the names of the magi were all commonly used in formulaic inscriptions on medieval jewelry and were thought to bring protection to the wearer. A pendant reliquary cross in the collection of the National Museum of Ireland, engraved with the crucifixion, uh, the name Maria, and the instruments of the Passion, which you see here, was found to house a slip of paper which listed the names of the Magi, um, written Sancti, Reis, Reges, Casper, Melichor, Balthasar, and was most likely viewed as a protective devotional item by its owner. Understanding the idea that these figures may have represented a guarantee that one would not face sudden death and therefore could hope for a good death um, brings a new layer of meaning as well to the case when we find these figures on a double front, uh, one of the slabs on a double front um, canopied tomb from the second half of the 15th century in Strayed, Friary County, Mayo. Um, on the left panel that you see here, or the right panel, excuse me, um, a formula to protect against sudden death has been created visually, placing the three magi with Christ. 
On the right panel is a um, figure kneeling, most likely the patron himself, holding his hands up in prayer before an archbishop, St. Peter and St. Paul. While these figures may simply be included due to a special devotion to them by the patron, it is significant that St. Peter's and Paul were commonly included in um, the illustration of comfort from despair that we discussed earlier in the Ars Moriendi woodcuts. Their inclusion in the image was as martyrs of exa or examples of saved sinners. In the Ars Morandi illustrations, they were accompanied by Mary Magdalene and the good thief on the cross. Um, on the stray tomb, carving the, third, the carving of the third figure uh, is of an archbishop, which may be St. Thomas Becket, who was a martyr and would fit in within that scheme. To complete the formula, uh, three angels hover over the group, perhaps referencing the angels that would, were thought to accompany the ideal death. Um, Christ is a judge figure that on the tomb that you see in the other uh, half of the tomb um, already references salvation in itself, but considering the other carved images that joined it, the patron's familiarity with the visual language of the idea of a good death is suggested. All of these examples suggest that the idea of a good death was not just an important uh, idea to the people of Tudor and Stuart Ireland, um, but one that they expressed in part with the devotional iconography they used in their art. The creation of the tombs, crosses, and other memorial works were often created by patrons before themselves, before death, and the incorporation of their imagery of the passion and the company of the saints and apostles on these works was, in part, a way of patrons for patrons to both ward off the possibility of death, a bad death, and create a lasting statement that would indicate to viewers that a good death had been achieved. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.